last week, we looked to Psalm 139. Welcome to we're the Weekly Mission Red Bank Podcast. Through the Helping Psalms, the body of Christ the build Lord itself up together in love. That he made us. That he's present with us. He's with us. And he shares his thoughts with us. Therefore, we side with him. 100% all in at any cost. And we welcome him searching us, trying us to see where we're off and to help us redirect our course. Within the ongoing kindness of this, we find life and become who he's called and is creating us to be. That's what we looked at last week. And when I spoke of the Lord caring for us, sharing his thoughts with us, I noted how this was different, a different relationship than people were accustomed to with the gods of the nations. And I said that this difference is why one of the prophets wrote, who is a God like you? That's a quote from the prophet Micah. And it's to his words we turn today. Micah was a prophet led by the Lord's Spirit to ask this question, who is a God like you? And he did it to underscore and point to God's character, his love, his covenant faithfulness toward his people and how these things are unrivaled by any of the gods of the nations, by any of the ways of man. Because our God actually cares deeply about and for us and treats us accordingly as his beloved. That is true. But we often don't respond to him according to his kindness. We've been hurt and we've been affected by sin. And this wound generates a fearful angst in us that can compel us to judge and question God's character in ways that are hurtful and provoking to him. This is our context for today's passage, this fourth Sunday of Epiphany. God's people are, again, thinking, feeling, and acting in ways that are more informed by the culture around them than him and who he's created and is calling them to be. So he's come to confront them, calling creation itself to bear witness to his faithfulness, to, again, redirect them to give their hearts, their very muchness, their essence of their being to him, finding their way in him rather than the broken ways of the culture around them. And my hope for us is that attending to these words might shed light on ways that our hearts might be given more to the ways of the world, the ways of the culture, than the way of God and his kingdom. 
And I pray that if we find ourselves to be off, that together we'll welcome the one who knows us. Remember back to the psalmist's words. Coming to search and redirect us to confession and repentance. And in that turning, steps, new action, walking as a people in his everlasting way as agents of reconciliation, those informing the culture, not departing from it, but being in the midst of it. And by the power of his spirit as a people, informing it. Let's ask for his help to that end. Father, I pray that my words, that our thoughts, that the things we think will be pleasing to you, that it will bring about action that's pleasing to you. And whatever resists you, it's, it's a pathology. It's not right. So teach us by the power of your spirit so that we follow you. We pray through Christ. Amen. So in Micah 6, just to give a little bit more like boots on the ground context, in verses 1 and 2, we hear God call Micah to arise and plead his case, plead the Lord's case his indictment of his people. He calls the mountains, the hills, the very foundations of the earth to bear witness. So Micah does this. And in verses 3 to 5, God speaks these words. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And the Lord reminds them of other rescue. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him? And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal? These are two different times when kingdoms of the world were trying to work against God's people and get a prophet to speak out against them. That would be Balaam. And then there was a time in Shittim where they were faithful to God, and then between Shittim and Gilgal, the covenant was broken and had to be reestablished. He said, remember this, that you may know the righteous acts of Yahweh. Remember. He's stirring their collective memory, telling them to call to mind his goodness and covenant faithfulness toward them, asking them how he's wearied them and how this has somehow compelled them to turn from his way to the ways of the culture around them. He's literally saying, guys, how has this happened? What do you think I did? so that you've drifted this way. In verses 6 and 7, we hear a recording of what the people, what their response to God would be. And they respond as if he's one of the pagan gods of the culture. I'll try to point out why. With what shall I come before Yahweh? Enter Yahweh's presence. With what shall I bow before God on high? 
Shall I enter his presence with whole burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Will Yahweh be pleased with thousands of rams, with myriads of streams of oil? Shall I give my firstborn son for my rebellion, my transgression, the fruit of my body for my sinful life, literally the sin of my soul? This escalating response, this list of sacrifices crescendoing, it reveals something of the people's heart, how they've lost perspective and how their hearts have drifted. You see, they've come to see sacrifice as a way to get to God, which was true of the pagan gods. Gods, they had started worshiping alongside Yahweh. But this kind of ritual has never been, isn't, and will never be the way to God. Sacrifice is God's way of calling the collective heart of his covenant people to regularly, humbly recall how he makes atonement for them. And this, so he can be in their midst. They can be with him and walk in his way. It's not the actions or sacrifices in themselves no matter how extravagant or many they might be. It's the heart behind those actions. This is why Isaiah and many of the other prophets would say when God would look at his people and go, I actually hate the way you worship me because your hearts are not for me. Jesus would say in the gospels, well, did Isaiah prophesy of this generation? Your people speak with their lips about me and for me, but your hearts are far from me. The actions, the sacrifices, they don't get to God. God uses them to remind us that he does everything necessary to make it so we can be with him. That's important. And it's true for us still. We don't do right or radical things hoping God will hear us, see us, care for us. If we do, brothers and sisters, he does hear us. He does see us. He does care for us. And when we forget this and start treating him like some pagan deity that needs to be invoked or appeased, it's hurtful and offensive to him. Think about this. Have you ever had someone accuse you of something or treat you in some way that makes you think, man, you don't know me at all? If you have, do you remember how confusing or maybe hurtful that was? I think that feeling might be something, a little bit, 
like what's going on with God in Micah 6. Maybe how he feels even toward us times, at times today, even us in Christ, when we act like we're not. He's been just. He's been faithful. He's dealt kindly with us. But the truth is, and I think everybody probably will be able to relate to this, we personally, corporately, are still really vulnerable to fear, aren't we? And angst, aren't we? And these often lead us to selfishness, self-protection, self-promotion. We become more attuned to how much impact we're having than that for which we were created. We become myopic often. Before we know it, in our rationalization, like our ancient ancestors, we find ourselves walking in the way of the culture around us, thinking of and treating God accordingly rather than walking in his way, agents of reconciliation put here for purpose to be loving, transforming, helping, healing a people in the world meant to make it better. Not in a fundamentalist odd way of making it something weird, God loves the diversity of culture. He loves cultures. He created them. He wants us to be in them, healing them, helping them. But that doesn't mean we're of them. We're of another kingdom. So we get verse 8. God kindly reminding them and us, I think, of his way So we'll reorient to who he has created and calling us to be. Man has told you what is good. Let me stop right there. Your translation probably doesn't say that. It'll say he has told you what is good and what God asks of you. I think that's a mistake. And we took pains to really translate from the original text and try to understand context and verbiage and words And what this really says is not, what does God want from you? Really, what does God want from you? It says, man has told you in the culture what is good. But what what is Yahweh seeking from you? In other words, it's something different. And then he answers it simply and only to practice justice, to love covenant loyalty, and to walk humbly, thoughtfully, attentively with your God. I'm going to say that again. Practice justice. Love chesed. God's covenant, faithful loyalty. It's an essence of who he is. It's how he is. And walk humbly, thoughtfully, circumspectly, with intentionality, with God. 
As we heard in our other readings this morning, God loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his steadfast love. And to walk in the way of God is to give our collective heart to practicing justice, mercy, and faithfulness while attending to the specifics that are to blossom from these things. And then we heard that pure and undefiled religion, right worship of God, looks like us visiting those in need in their affliction, caring for them, and keeping ourselves thoughtfully, humbly, personally, corporately, unstained from the way of the world. Not like a hyper-moralistic statement, but like live as though you are who you are. It is who you are. Live as who you are. When we remember the good God has done to us, when we remember his character and how good he's always been, we don't do right and good things or make big sacrifices as a way to get to him. We do them because of his goodness. Amen? His way flows through us. And this looks like us practicing justice loving covenant loyalty and walking humbly, thoughtfully, attentively with him. This is who he's created and is calling us to be. It's explicit. It's in his word. There is no question about it. So this is our path. Mission Red Bank, this is our path to discovering and recovering our true corporate identity in Jesus. And this is why we're going to stay a course, working hard at remembering that we belong to God and in Him to one another. This is why we'll pray and seek and work to grow in the grace of knowing and experiencing Jesus actively. This is why we'll want to always be actively looking for ways to love and serve one another as Jesus loves and serves us the new commandment that he gave us. And this is why as we go throughout life together, we'll be glad to give what he's given to us away. He's been good to us. He's with us. He's calling us to remember and treat him like we know who our daddy is by practicing justice loving his covenant loyalty his faithfulness and by walking humbly thoughtfully attentively with him and if you want to take your temperature and find out if it's happening it's chiefly revealed in how we treat one another and our neighbors. So let's help one another remember. Let's continue to do this. Let's work on it together. We're working to figure out ways to best and better do that right now. And let's see what happens. Amen. You've been listening to the Mission Red Bank Podcast. Thanks for joining us. 
If you'd like to know more about Mission Red Bank or have questions about what you've heard today, you'll find us on Facebook. Grace and peace to you, and may God's blessings surround you.